if you get press coverage and you do nothing with it, it's like jazz hands and then it just goes away. Welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. As usual, I am Lindsay Groper from Blast Media, and I will be your host and bartender today. I am psyched about today because, number one, I'm trying out a new video function in Zencaster so I can actually see my guest and what a lovely guest she is. Today, we are being joined by my partner, my friend, my drinking buddy, and the CEO of Blast Media. Mindy Warney. Mindy, welcome to SAS Half Full. Hey, hey, hey. It only took us three tries to get this scheduled, but we did it. We did it. And it's been a year since we started recording SAS Half Full, and we have not yet talked about our discipline, which is long overdue because we believe in it, which is PR. So today we are going to talk about SAS PR, truth and lies. Bum, bum, bum. There are many of them. This is a very burning topic because it's very polarizing still, believe it or not. When you talk about PR with CEOs of SaaS companies or marketers, depending, there's very strong reactions on both sides. They're either haters or supporters, which is shocking that there are still PR haters in this world because PR has been around for so long. And I think that's part of it is it's considered really old school and traditional ways of building your brand. But there's a reason that it's still around. There's a reason we've been around for 16 damn years doing a little subset of PR, which is media relations. We started out doing it and we're still doing it today. And we have wonderful clients who continue to invest in us and partner with us. So there's a reason it's been around this long because the shit works. So we want to talk today about what are some misconceptions or generalities maybe that we want to debunk or support through our discussions. But Mindy, I want to make sure people have a little bit of background on you and Blast Media because we always dive into this with our guests. I don't want to make the assumption that everybody listening here knows who we are, even though they should. But we are Blast Media. Our agency is strategizing and executing PR for B2B SaaS companies. We're specialized in two things. One, PR, and two, specifically for this vertical. And we could go on and on about why and how we do PR differently for B2B SaaS. But I think we'll tackle that a bit more in our discussion just naturally as we talk. I am drinking, which is not atypical. It's a Wednesday morning at 11.18. And so rather than dipping into something hard, I am going with a tried and true, truly lemonade. These flavors came out, I think, last summer, which was great during the height of the pandemic when I was really truly out. So this has become one of my favorites is this truly lemonade. Are you joining me for a drink today? Unfortunately, I am not. Lame. I am not. I wish I was. I've been in back-to-back meetings this morning since 8, and so I am not in a place I could grab a cocktail. But if I was, I'm on a tequila, soda, splash of grapefruit. That's my vibe right now. So that's what I would be drinking if I was drinking. But I, I have a glass of water, so I'll pretend that that's what it is. Uh, somebody turned me on to the Terry Mana tequila. It is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who you know I love dearly. It's his tequila. 
And I too have been enjoying that with a little bit of uh, tequila mix and grapefruit as well. So I, I feel that. Okay, let's talk about some PR truths and lies, my friend. I'm going to start with this statement and then I need you to say whether you think it's true or false. So first statement is SaaS companies only need PR when they have big announcements. That is a big fat lie. I would say that I would actually say it's the opposite. It is the absolute opposite of the truth because it's more important to have PR in between the announcements. Any PR firm can get you coverage for announcements, but it's more important to get you in the press and in the news when you don't have announcements. So I would say that is a big fat lie. What do you think? I completely agree. And I, I literally say this in all truth, that my mom, Judy, who I love dearly, could write a press release about her famous chicken noodle casserole and put it out over business wire. And I kid you not, it would get the same 200 RSS pickups as your new product release. It is the God honest truth. So simply issuing press releases, it's fine. And you need to do it. Don't get us wrong. I mean, press releases are very important. There's this stamp in time, there's statement of facts. But if what you're looking to do, which is 95% of our clients, I would say first and foremost, is looking to influence their prospects through PR, it's not through a press release. A press release doesn't educate your buyer. It doesn't solve any problems. All it does is communicate facts about whatever it is you're announcing. So Mindy, oftentimes I'll get the question of, well, okay, well then what do we do? How do we create news when we have nothing to say? And that's a very standard question that I get that's pretty fun to answer. But Mindy, how do we create news for our clients when they think they have not enough to talk about? Well, like I said, press releases can be supportive documents. But I think what you need to do is talk about what are your, your key messages? What are you trying to get across to your potential buyers? Why do people buy your service or your product, right? Those are the reasons why people are going to come to you. Why is it that someone's going to buy something from you? It's not what you're buying, it's why. So when we tackle any kind of PR program, it's great to talk to the marketing people. But I think what we like to do is to also talk to the salespeople in figuring out what are the use cases and, and why do people buy this product and what are the stories involved in the companies themselves because those are those are what is going to get you in the news not what your product is it's really more about the why for us you know uh, what are the the three questions you always get if we find out what those questions are those are the kind of questions that we want to start telling people in the press and telling the why behind the what is something that we preach a lot and who's behind it is the what but who cares there are hundreds of funding announcements every week. So why yours? What does it matter? What's it saying about the market? What's it saying about the industry? Is this a trend? Does this mean something bigger? Is this indicative of things to come and telling the why behind it? But I mean, realistically, we have some clients that have maybe one release a quarter, sometimes twice a year that are truly newsworthy. And we truly believe that the value in PR lies in between those moments in leveraging all the different tools that are available in the PR toolbox to keep that conversation going in between those bigger moments. And that's everything from reactive pitching, monitoring your competitors and reacting to their news of the day, 
or reacting to trends. Some people call it trend jacking or news jacking. It's leveraging internal data. It's us story mining with your spokespeople to figure out what's their perspective. What are they passionate about? And you pitching those out for longer form thought leadership topics or potentially for podcast interviews or media Q and A's. There's so many different tools that a PR team can use and leverage that have nothing to do with an announcement. And if you're working with a firm that says, well, guys, uh, coverage is light this quarter because you didn't have anything new to talk about, like that's bullshit. And that's what gives PR a bad name. And unfortunately, that's what's done a lot, especially with these large coastal firms that are recommended by their VCs, where they're thrown to these PR firms for big announcements. And then these companies get sort of shoved down to junior talent while the next one comes along is the next shiny object with a big round of funding. And that's just lazy PR. And it pisses us off because a lot of times companies will get jaded and not believe in PR until they work with us. And then we totally change their minds, which is awesome. So the next statement is when it comes to choosing your PR firm, the only thing that matters is relationships. That is a lie. Lies, all lies. That is a lie. Now, back in the day, when I, like I said, I, I'm an old PR person. Back in the day, I do think relationships mattered a little bit more than they do now. But today, I think PR people in general have to be really great storytellers. And I think that that is tried and true over the course of time. You have to be a great storyteller. And whether you, an editor recognizes your name as your email pops up in their inbox or caller ID, that will help. Don't get me wrong. And I think back in the day when there was a lot of people in newsrooms, that did help. I think 20 years ago when I was pitching the press on a daily basis, being able to be recognized and people knew my phone number and people saw my name pop up in an inbox, when there was a lot of people in newsrooms, I do think that that actually did help. Today, newsrooms have shrank. So I think it does matter less now. But I think what hasn't changed over the course of time is whether someone recognized your name or not, if you sent out a pitch and it was a good story and you could capture the attention very quickly of an editor or a journalist, it didn't matter if they knew you or not. It's all about if you could tell a story. If you can capture their attention, especially in a good subject line, to me, you do not have to know that person. No, I totally agree. And I do get this question a lot too from potential clients is, okay, well, where are your relationships? What are your relationships? And now there are plenty of verticals where we have very strong relationships. I mean, we're working within B2B SaaS, so there are commonalities amongst the media that we're pitching. But I'm with you. When we started this agency 16 years ago, there was also only so much press. It was very traditional press. It was a little bit online. Ugh, blogs were just starting to come about in, in sort of the online versions of media. But there was a finite amount of press when we started. So you, those relationships were pretty solid and, and they lasted the test of time. But today, the amount of press is infinite. There is so much media that you can potentially talk to that the relationship has taken a bit of a backseat. Now, relationships do matter. And it is in, you do want to know that your agency is able to obtain press coverage. But to Mindy's point, when we have a client that comes to us, this is a true story, we had a client come to us that worked primarily in field services and one of their primary verticals was oil and gas. Never worked in that vertical, ever, in 16 years, which is shocking. Usually we've worked in pretty much every vertical, but it didn't matter because we understand how we need to grind 
and research and work to figure out how we're going to add value to that segment of press. And we were highly successful with it because the process is the same, despite not having any relationships. Now, where relationships do come in certainly is with the national press and with your strong trade relationships is when they start to come to you. And that's always cool for us as an agency when we have good relationships where media will come to us and say, I'm working on a story about AI for good, or I'm working on a particular story about AI ops. I know you guys have three clients that play in that space. Can you help me out? That is a a sign of a great agency when you have those inbounds. And also being able to call some of your friendlies and get an understanding of what they're working on or why they're not interested in what it is you have to tell. Because sometimes you think you have a really great story to tell and it doesn't resonate. And you're like, gosh, I'm scratching my head. Why the fuck didn't that work? And you're able to call on those relationships to say, man, I missed the mark on this. Here's why I thought this was interesting, but like, what am I missing? And you can get some great insight to take back to your client. But in terms of that being the only thing that matters with your agency, I completely agree with you, Mindy, that that is lies. There's two sides to that coin, right? If you're looking to hire an agency and that's what they're leaning on and saying, you should hire us because we have all these relationships. I wouldn't hire them just because of that. As I guess what I'm saying is because you can get press coverage without having relationships in certain industries for all those points, like I said, I mean, but yes, like I said, you should always have go-tos for sure. And like I said, after you work with clients in a certain industry, then yes, They should be coming to you. And I think more importantly, too, we email pitch a lot. I mean, that is what we do. Every email pitch that comes out from Glass Media, you can tell it's a Glass Media pitch, right? Every account rep puts their spin on it and there's creativity behind it. But most journalists, I think, will say, I think we've gotten from Michael Smart of PR Pro, he's said, you can tell a Glass Media pitch. A lot of the format is the same. So across 40 to to 50 employees that people can tell that something's come from Blast Media. And and I think that that is a sign of a good PR firm, that we know how to write something that's going to capture the attention of the media. I think that those are the, the type of things that you want to look for in an agency. I want to move on to a really an age old debate, which is the ROI of PR. Oh, our favorite topic. Oh, yeah. So my statement is going to be that SaaS PR is a vanity spend and can't be measured or tied to any ROI. This is a tricky, tricky one. And no one listening is going to like the answer because I would say it is a truth and a lie. Spoken like a true PR professional, I will take both sides of that coin because I think it depends on the organization because there are, you know, I, I, I guess the organization we're working with, because I, I think some CMOs, VP of marketings will say it is a vanity spin. Some will say you have to tie it to ROI. Some will say, hey, it's a line item. It's a cost of doing business. I would rather do it than not do it. I'm okay that I can't tie it to ROI because if I take it away, What's the cost of not doing it? And I think we we both agree that PR, media relations, should not be your largest marketing spend. And if that's the case, you're not ready to work with us. And it is a brand play. So there is a bit of vanity in that. But it can be used and it can be used very effectively. But 
if you're looking to put money into PR and get a direct money out, then no, don't call us. We will tell you that. It's not going to be a direct ROI. Now, with that being said, have we had clients that have said, hey, wow, we had a piece of coverage that ran in a trade publication. Someone came to our website, filled out a form. We called them. They became a client. And holy shit, that paid for PR for two years. That is a hell of an ROI. And that's great. We're high-fiving. We're you know popping champagne bottles with them. And that's great. That does sometimes happen. But sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes we can track those things if we have the right access to analytics and they're tagged correctly and we can track them through attribution models. It's also in a perfect world that we have all that access, right? We are working on that as a firm to get better with our clients, to be able to track all those things. I think it depends on the client and how they measure it and how their organization and and specifically how their CEO also looks at PR and how they value it. No, I get it. And in working in the B2B SaaS vertical, we know what we're getting. I mean, SaaS marketers are some metrics-driven mofos and have more acronyms than anyone would ever need to deal with, with CPC and CACs and CLTs. So every single thing is measured. I get it. On the flip side, there is this whole chunk of marketing investment that's just put under this brand umbrella that you can't really attribute any direct revenue to, but if you stop doing it, everything else suffers. And PR falls in that brand spend. And luckily, it's come a long way that we've been able to advance our reporting and the metrics that we measure. But I think where we've evolved as an agency is really tying PR to our clients' marketing objectives It's like, yeah, no shit. That sounds like something you should have always been doing. But what typically happens is that agencies will create PR objectives and then build the key results and goals around that. What ends up happening in that instance is the CMO will walk into the rest of the executive team and say, here's my quarterly business report. Here's all of my marketing metrics met him, didn't meet him. And here's all the levers that we pulled and everyone says, yay, good job. And then it's almost like this afterthought of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And um, our, our, here our PR firm got coverage. That's how that traditionally works. And that does not tie PR to any business value. So what we do as an agency, we work off of OKRs, objectives and key results, but lo and behold, the O is your O. The O is our SaaS marketing team's objective. So they share with us their marketing objectives for the quarter of the year. And we take a look and say, we can impact this one, this one, and this one. And then we build our key PR results around that objective. So then what happens is same situation, CMO walks in, quarterly business report. Here's all my marketing objectives. Here's all the levers I pulled to meet them. And PR is one of those levers. So we become part of that rising tide that lifts all ships versus being this PS at the bottom that means nothing. In doing so, we see longer term investments with our clients because we are part of their objectives versus being a more of a standalone vendor that's going off in our own direction and creating our own goals, which doesn't really make sense. We've been knocking for a long time, at least Blast Media has. And it's just taken a while for people to let us in. CMOs now have gotten a better seat at that table even. 
And I think that some of the forward-thinking CMOs have led us into that table with them. And I think, too, PR coverage, and we've said this for years, is if you get press coverage and you do nothing with it, it's like jazz hands and then it just goes away. So you have to also do something with your press coverage. And I think a great example of that, just as like a specific example, is we worked our asses off to get this opportunity with the Wall Street Journal with our client Moogsoft and their client Fannie Mae. It was a long work in progress. But when we did secure that article, I mean, it was like the perfect headline. It was Fannie Mae reduces IT problems by a third. And it was about <laughs> them and using Moogsoft. But Moogsoft then promoted that piece of coverage at their user conference. And they talked about the partnership with Fannie Mae and what happened after that conference, and this is like gold for all of you SaaS marketers, they had other enterprise customers come to them and say, hey, we'd really like to participate in media opportunities like that, which is like the holy grail because y'all know how hard it is because it's in your MSA, can't work with press, can't mention us, can't talk to us. But they promoted that piece of press coverage and it led to other enterprise customers saying, we're willing to do that and speak about Moogsoft, which was huge. So it's using that PR coverage as an asset. Exactly. Which, my gosh, if every client of ours would be able to do that, it would be golden. Yes. We work with a lot of number twos in the categories. We love our number twos and number threes, where oftentimes they are competing with what would be considered a Goliath competitor. They might be a solid number two in the category, but their number one is a service now. It's a sales force. It's a big company, deep pockets. And so my statement is to you is that scale-up SaaS companies can't compete with Goliath competitors who have big budgets when it comes to PR. I say that is the biggest lie of them all. I would say bring on the Davids because PR is the biggest equalizer of them all. I could not agree more with that. And I'm, the reason I use this statement is because I talk about this a lot with these really strong category competitors but they just feel like they can't make a dent. And my answer is yours too, Mindy, is that if you cannot compete on customer logos and revenue and employees and budget, PR can become a perception equalizer. True, not true, right or wrong, when inevitably your prospect hangs up the phone with your BDR and does a Google search and they see that you're CEOs featured all over the place that you guys have won an award is one of the fastest growing companies that you have a customer story in the vertical that they're in all of a sudden it's like oh these guys look credible these guys seem trustworthy and you can't put a price on that it is that brand awareness play but PR is the biggest equalizer for the for the dollar if you can't compete on billboards and huge ad budgets and digital budgets you can compete on PR. No, I, I totally agree. I think a great example of this is when we started working with Sixth Sense two years ago. They were fairly new onto the ABM platform space. And the biggest Goliath in the space was demand base. I mean, everybody knew of them. And when their CMO called me and said, hey, we would like to work with you. and But demand base is this huge company in the space. And I searched for six cents and they were nowhere to be found, right? Like every, every article that spoke about ABM, six cents was never mentioned. And so we just slowly over the course of the year started working on thought leadership campaign for them. Like obviously we had 
some announcements come out. You know, they had a funding announcement, which helped. We had a couple of product announcements. But more than anything, like we talked about here at the beginning of this podcast, which they didn't have a lot of big announcements other than an initial funding announcement. But what we did was we just chipped away at thought leadership. And also we started creating their CMO as a thought leader in the space. And what we did was we just started telling stories about Sixth Sense and how cold calling was dead and other things that they really wanted to get out there in their key messages and just constantly just started chipping away with that. Then we started an awards program, a very aggressive speaking program for them. And so every time, like we, you know, like I said, in any time Demandbase or Engageo or Lattice came out with an announcement, we were also reacting to it and throwing Sixth Sense name into it. We just actively just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. We just chipped away at that over the past year. And all of a sudden, I think it was like a 30% jump in share of voice over just one year. And so they went from, I think, having zero mentions to every time that demand base was mentioned, they were mentioned. So even over the course of a year, we could show that now that anytime ABM is mentioned, they're mentioned. And now they get more mentions than demand base over two years. And like I said, that's not the only lever that they were pulling. But they use PR as a way to level up their thought leadership against one of those giant companies in their space to start telling their story, which I think is a great example of a David versus Goliath, where they quickly were able to take over the, the share of voice and the share of thought leadership in that space, in the ABM platform space, which was huge for them. And their CMO recently said, and, and you can't really put like an ROI metric on this, but she said since working with us that when they started working with us, they were the hunter and that now they're the hunted. And that is the best case study in that phrase alone, because that's what PR can do. And it's all perception. From the outside world, it looks like now that Sixth Sense is the one to catch. And that's huge. And it didn't happen overnight. This is one of those long-term investment strategies with PR. It's not a light switch where you just turn it on and all of a sudden there it is. It does take time to formulate that consistent narrative and that consistent voice. But if you invest in it, it does work and can really change that public perception and, and that narrative around the company. They've done a lot as a company, right? But there's there's so many examples of companies that we have worked with that PR from an early stage SaaS company, it can make you look bigger. We always kind of say like pass the sniff test, right? When your BDRs are out there sending emails and making cold calls and you get that someone that's like actually interested on the phone and then they're doing a quick Google search when they're on the call with you. And all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, like there's some things that are actually coming up. Like they look real. So PR can can be a way to make you look bigger and make you look more credible um, in a very cost-effective way. So I think it, it definitely can help you level the playing ground with some of those bigger companies. It can. And I will say also for the bigger companies that might be listening, if you are the number one, there is a real big opportunity though to increase that share of voice and outside of issuing press releases. Because typically what happens with large companies, if we're talking to the number two and we do an analysis on the number one competitor what we typically find is that they're making a lot of noise, but they're not actually saying anything. So if you don't want to be that number one, who all of a sudden the number two company, you're like, what the fuck? Like, why are they everywhere? Your own strategy and make sure that you too have some sort of a consistent narrative 
that from the outside looking in, you can understand what story you're trying to tell and what your position is in the market. Because if you're just issuing press releases, you are leaving a big opportunity for a smaller competitor to start gaining market share. The last statement I want to make is, and this relates to, I I think, probably many people that are listening to this episode. So apologies in advance. But SaaS CEOs have inflated egos about their product and position in the market. Oh, damn. That is a loaded question. Ooh, I, I, I would, <laughs> I'd say that kind of depends on the CEO. <laughs> Ultimately, though, I think that's a lie. I, I do think that they get sometimes a bad rap, but I think most of them, it might come across that way, but I would say it's a lie because most of them, I feel, are very passionate about what they're doing, and, and that could be a very good thing. So I, I would say, hopefully, that they do not have inflated egos. As long as they're passionate about what they're doing, I'm all for it. I would agree with that. Where it becomes a bit of a roadblock is when that passion is coupled with unrealistic expectations. So we need a passionate CEO, first and foremost. If if, if the CEO is going to be a primary spokesperson, I love it. They have to be passionate. I don't want them to be passive. They need to be passionate and want to say something. I like a bold, a, a passionate CEO that's bold enough to say something is great. Yes. But the unrealistic expectation is where you get in a little trouble where I say, who are your primary competitors, whether that's perceived or peer or point solutions. And I get, nobody does what we do. I'm like, "Mm, okay, well, let's back up a little bit. And that my goal, if the the Wall Street Journal should be covering our, our product announcement, that's when I need to take a little bit of a step back and, and say that, wow, a lot of passion, but the Wall Street Journal doesn't cover products from no name SaaS companies. Like that's not a, it's not something that they do. So we have to take a step back and figure out how we can play into a large narrative. What is that larger narrative? And what happens, though, is it gets PR agencies in a bit of a pinch, though, too, because all of a sudden they start trying to please this CEO's unrealistic expectations. So all they're doing is spinning their wheels, pitching this huge national press with very few results, because that takes time to build. And they're ignoring this whole section of industry press, which is where your buyers live. So like the Wall Street Journal is a very influential press outlet. But if who you're selling to is operations managers at oil and gas companies, it's probably not the place they're reading and getting their news. So we have to just really take steps back and think about who are we trying to influence and where are they getting their information? Because the Wall Street Journal is great, but it's a different story. We can't get in the weeds about your industry and about the challenges facing you know, remote field service teams out in the field with the Wall Street Journal. So it's really peeling that onion and figuring out how we can tell the right story to the right audience. It depends on what ego they're bringing to the, the PR meetings. Like I said, yes, if they're bringing the inflated ego in terms of, yes, I want to be in the Wall Street Journal and only have top tier coverage, then yes, we have to have a discussion about that. If they're bringing an inflated ego in terms of we have the best product, but it's coming from a passionate, they just want to go tell that story in terms of they can be overly passionate in every meeting that they're in. It's like also like 
contagious, that could be a very good thing. So it just depends. I would rather have someone that's very passionate on every media interview than someone that's very ho-hum. Most of them do believe in their products, but some over-believe in, in what the expectations of PR that they should be achieving and making sure it aligns with what it should be doing for their company and what's good for their company. Mindy, that is all the truths and lies that I have for us today. There's so many more that we could talk about. And I hope that we'll reach out and want more of this because, boy, we could talk about this a long time. But I appreciate you finally joining me on SAS Half Full. This was fun. Thanks again to Mindy for joining me on SAS Half Full. It was so nice to finally have my partner join me. Hopefully you guys learned a little bit about SAS PR truths and lies. Now, Mindy was lame not joining me for a cocktail. However, we still would like to get some cocktails in your hands. If you'd like to order a cocktail kit, visit cocktailcourier.com and enter code SHF15 at checkout to get 15% off of your order. As always, thanks so much for joining me. And until next time, bottoms up.